who just has difficulty showing it, but I know he's proud of you. We both are, Victor. Hey, 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 hey. With everything I know you can do today, I can't wait to see what you're going to be tomorrow. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Zack Snyder's Justice League by the Minute, part three of our walk through the movie before beginning our full breakdown minute by minute. We didn't want to have to wait like a year and a half to talk about this cyborg sequence. So we are going through part by part. If you've listened (laughs) to the first two parts, you know that we are about to shift into the backstories for Barry Allen, Cyborg, and oh, so many more things. If, once again, take a drink, the plot's really picking up now. I wanted to say it's a really great parallel between Cyborg and Barry because they both lost their mothers and then realized that applies to every single person in this movie. So I will refrain from doing that. But yes, that is a common trope. I think that it makes sense considering where the characters go in this story that Vic and Barry are together. I, it's probably up for debate, like, at whether that's the chicken or the egg, how did it make most sense? But from, like, a cursory view, we got a bunch of major big chunks in part two. Part three is Barry's introduction, more Steppenwolf and Atlantean stuff, Diana and Cyborg with Cyborg's story, Barry with his father, Barry meets Bruce, Vic and Diana, and Vic kind of getting through his the the plot setup of burying the box and everything uh, until we finally get Silas taken and then the big Atlantis fight all in this section which yeah. is like I think continuing the the plot of uh, the action sequences like like we were saying all of the arcs of a lot of characters continue through this section but if this is a if we're gonna use the like uh, symphony, analogy for for Zack Snyder and Chris Terriel's layering of stories here. This is where the Flash and Cyborg enter the piece. Yeah, and they are it's really interesting because they aren't someone who like they aren't characters that necessarily jumped out like this to me on earlier viewings and maybe it was just me, but that they are they are really apart from the league in so many ways the two of them. They are the only two that have like more, not mystical or like cosmic or like their powers are so different in nature. They're also the only like, they're they're both kids, basically. Yeah, I didn't, it wasn't until you just said that, that I was like, wow, Barry is the guy who says 100% I'm in. And then the end of his arc is like, I could not be more separate from everyone else. Like even Arthur is, he's the other new character, but he's like grouped with the other character introductions because his... He's the king who would be man, right? That's so much bigger than the kid trying to go to crime school to exonerate his mom, right? In terms of mythical level character building. And so the way that they bring these two guys in, the like Cyborg is obviously like super powerful and in a cosmic nature almost with his powers, but he's still a kid trying to find his place in the world. Even though Aquaman is trying to find that, it's Aquaman is closer to like Bruce in his like personal journey, I feel like. He's just been operating off the radar and independently for way longer. Well, yeah, we had that line earlier. I hear the stories, your good deeds, you think no one notices. Mm-hmm. That's like, that is very much, oh, he's one of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, a, he's at that stage of his life. But yeah, we get we get Barry. Uh, what an introduction to, I mean, for, for all of the ways that we've been kind of walked into these characters, like 
the introductions we've had with Barry, it is full energy, uh, meeting Iris, and then the most wild portrayal of his powers, which if if anyone listened to our commentary, if anyone listened to the spoilers, <laughs> they will know that I have to just restrain myself from talking about the Barry and Iris scene because I'm going to eat up every single minute of that as a huge Flash fan, as a huge Barry and Iris fan, I will just say that this to me is like perfect mm-hmm. and genius and you'll I be have happy. to stop. <laughs> I think you'll be happy to know then that um in that I referenced it in the last chapter, the uh the Rough Cut podcast where they have the, like the three different editors on from from Justice League. They they re- there's a bunch of scenes that they like reworked. I think some of them because they had to use alternate shots because of um to get the aspect ratio because of archive footage and whatever other crazy reason to go listen to it sure. is awesome. But one of the things Dodie Dorn said is that there, there's chunks of the movies that they, they wouldn't touch at all. And this is one of those. This is the, the way Zach edited it, this entire sequence in 2016. While a lot of the movie has been added, stuff rearranged, little, you know, here, a little there. This is like, when you talk about Zach having a vision in his head and bringing it to life, I feel like this scene is one of the probably more pure examples of that in this movie of him just saying, this is what it's going to be. And everyone just being like, yep, leave it as it is. It would be in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> with, with that honorific on it. Yeah. Which that's actually a funny point. Cause it's probably, it's got more speed ramping than any other, like most other scenes, just cause it's, it's so extended <laughs> that somebody in, um, in VFX, one of the hard things with Zach's footage is that because of the way they do VFX, you have to have the timing right for the slow motion because they don't necessarily create, like, do you, do you match it up in real motion and then match the, their speed ramping? It's slow, yeah. There's a question in the way they create those of like, do you, do you create them with speed ramping in the first place and, and have to match everything up? Or do you try to track it to like the real time footage and then keep it in sync as the ramping changes? Um, and, um, I don't know enough about how VFX are done to know the ex- fully how difficult that is, but they made it sound really difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. and so if we're talking about editing the scene, I can imagine like a VFX editor being like, let's change as little as possible mm-hmm. once we get working on the VFX. Cause if they, if they cut it or, or change the ramping or anything like that, I can imagine that would, that'd be like, all right, let's, we got to start that over now. You're talking like at the end of the shot when it goes from him gently placing Iris down to then snap back to full speed. They're saying like, okay, wait, do we do we do it? Do we animate the car? Do we animate all of this moving at regular speed, including a car crash? And, and then, then speed ramp it to match. It. Yeah. yeah. Or do we do, do we just do it where the effect Speed ramps with yeah. a perfectly in time. Is it, is it man? Is it baked in? Yeah. Do we animate it in slow motion or do we animate it in regular motion and then slow it down? Because you can, t- I mean, you can tell the difference if like, is the, a lot of times slow motion with, is shot with like a high, high frame rate camera. And so yeah, right. you'll get a, like, it's literally a different frame rate. And so you want that stuff is the type of thing that can make, you know, VFX jump out again. I'm, I'm not, a, I'm totally, I'm probably yeah, yeah. as a VFX artist listening now. That's like, that's not how it works <laughs> in my layman's understanding and explanation. That just sounds 
really complex of for something that's already more complex than I understand. Yeah, that's going to be a really, it could be a short minute where we started off and just say, well, they, they needed this to be perfect and it is. So yeah. done, <laughs> moving on. Well, we move into the, uh, speaking of visual effects that we don't know how they're done, but you love them. Uh, Steppenwolf's parademons dragging the Atlantean guards out of the water. Oh yeah, that's a, that's one of those ones where you, I feel like almost like one of the VFX guys like pitched it to Zach where it reminds me of like what they did in, um, although I guess a, a bit different in, in a few contexts, but like what they did with, um, Empire Strikes Back where they were like, let's do the, um, battle in the snow because the way they did like the, like green screen cutout stuff at the time, they didn't have green screen. And so they, so right. doing it all against white was like, really difficult <laughs> and uh so anyway so to be like let's let's have them in the water and then come out of the water and then be dripping and some of them are live action characters and some of them are motion captured characters and yeah again sounds i i love the pitch for the because <laughs> it it works i mean you it almost looks like the parademons are like guys in suits when until you think like no wait those are right dudes in mocap suits in the water yeah with We're realistic gonna- water effects I'm going to enjoy talking about that little bit by little bit and how different Steppenwolf looks in this lighting. We can, we can, there's a whole lot of shots here. I'm not sure which one you are, or sequences, I guess, with Lois finding the cape. Obviously, this is going to be a favor for us because we return to their apartment. Exactly. Well, I like this because it does connect a room of the apartment that I don't think we even knew existed yet. Yep. Yep. With a section of the apartment that we did know it existed. So this is huge. This is what, yeah. this is the excavation. It's a big deal for us. <laughs> uh, Diana is in on recruiting with Bruce. This is the, this is the addition of several sequences. Um, I'll just mention them here, like out of mm-hmm. order, because Diana and Alfred making tea together and the gauntlets, the whole. Uh, yes, you're just doing it place. that way so that we don't talk about Diana and Bruce or Diana and Alfred making tea for ten minutes. Right? Oh God, <laughs> no! That's so we can do that when the actual minutes arrive. Yeah, I love. Yeah. Obviously, yes, this is fantastic. We can't geek out too much because everyone knows how much we love Alfred, and this is going to be what this adds to the movie. Like, what this adds to both of their characters, I think, is is big. Mm-hmm. This is, like, this would be a scene that would... The, the, the big <laughs> no, thing, on. what we should actually talk about, what do we call this? Like, the story of Cyborg, like the Cyborg sequence that is like a short film placed yeah. inside this part of the movie. It's interesting because before the movie came out, I always thought of it as or described it as, and I don't know exactly how, it's one of those things from Breaking Down BVS that there's certain things about Snyder that I feel like you and I both now say, like, I feel like the way he would do this is this. And then yeah, this was kind of one of those things. And I always described it as Cyborg's Dr. Manhattan scene. <laughs> and it's not quite that, but it is pretty close. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, it's, it's so visually diverse. I think, first of all, starting with the football and going to the, like the school, and then you get, you've, you know, you slowly move and then you get the accident and then you get the, um, this full on VFX scene. It's so kind of crazy to have such a, like, I always try, I, I keep on trying to count out the, like the number of big set pieces in the movie overall. Cause it's so packed with these giant battles. Whenever I get to this part, I almost have to guess myself like, wait, what should I include? If I'm talking about like how packed this movie is with visual spectacle, do I include this scene where cyborg is operating a bank? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and just the fact that I struggle with knowing if it belongs in that conversation or not, I think just kind of speaks to how, like, this is a big spectacle of 
demonstration of the vast power of a superhero, and it's about transferring funds into the bank account of a single mother. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that just doesn't happen. Right? Yeah, more powerful than Superman could ever be operating with the same catches. Yeah. I think that's going to... I'm I'm really looking forward to... Because this is, like, extended. So I'm really looking forward to... In our minute-by-minute minute breakdown of this movie, this is going to be like, hey, and now we're going on vacation with Cyborg. Like, Yeah, we're literally going to spend a couple months. Yeah. Like, we're <laughs> forgetting... Forget the plot. Forget all this stuff. Let's just go into a, you know, weeks-long breakdown of who is the cyborg created by Ray Fisher, Chris Terrio, and Zack Snyder. Yeah. Every every bit of this is uh, from learning to fly to, uh, this is like revisiting the part of the Superman story that, that Snyder didn't give in Man of Steel, which is, and, and so much of the imagery calls back to Superman, you know, learning to fly, almost falling over, and what was I supposed to do? Let all of them starve? Yeah. Um, well, and then yeah. you, and then it's complemented by the the Joe Morton voiceover, which is an obvious callback to Jonathan Kent. But it's like the absent father, but he's still. It's not the advice is bad. It's just it's coming from this guy that you like you know wasn't really there. Yeah. And but he's giving the advice that I don't. It doesn't even contradict what Jonathan Kent said, but it 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 adds layers. I think maybe to the intent behind it and how he's so he revels. And what well, Vic can do. Man, I mean, this is going to be like, this is, as, a, and I'm saying all of this as a scientist. Yes. <laughs> now let me say this, speak as your father, Crunch. Yeah. Uh, that completely brings home Clark and Vic's story. And yeah. Arthur and Diana and Bruce. Like, obviously in that, in that closing narration, we're not there yet, but this is a great setup for it. Mm-hmm. It, it turns out Jonathan Kent thinks like a scientist. So take that <laughs> in the little farm at the bottom of the world. I it's will, funny because I'm, I'm almost hesitant to dig in, but at the same time, we're like, we're going to literally spend months yeah. on this scene. We're, we could dig in a little bit right now and not and not even mind too much of what we're going to talk about. That's how long and like in-depth it is. I can't wait to see what you'll do tomorrow is like, uh, oh, right. This is a movie about parents, too. <laughs> like this, yeah, exactly. this is a story about parents <laughs> as much as anything well, else. And then also knowing from like the the breakdown boards that they used to pitch like this yeah. whole five film epic that Cyborg was going to become a a technological god basically like a, a Doctor Manhattan level almost powerful yeah. being that like transcends the and so it's such an amazing yeah kind of just basic kind of setup tease of that and the way that that scene ends this is a little more specific but I I, I think. Probably it's okay to say without uh, that if we're about to move on from this section. But one of the things that was referenced by Ray Fisher in one of the uh, one of the interviews that he did was that Terrio. Obviously, it was really important to get the representation right and to get the Stone family right. This would have been the first black superhero in such a major role on screen. Like when they were preparing this movie, like when they were writing this movie. I think probably when they initially started writing it, Black Panther might not have even had like a release date yet. I don't remember. But Black Panther didn't come out for several months after this movie. Obviously it's not not quite as culturally relevant because it's not like the whole 
cast and the setting of the movie. But it was a responsibility that like Terrio really felt to an extent where he was like, look, I need, I can't rely on myself to, to properly get the representation right here. And Fisher said that he was like really passionate about a lot of things, including he name dropped Trayvon Martin describing the things that he would talk about with Terrio, which makes it really interesting to me at the end of this scene where he gives the, um, he transfers the money into the, into the bank account. And then he's like, has this like a, a small smile on his face and he turns around to walk away and he sees the, um, the people Couple. like walking towards him. They like, like pull back at the sight of him, um, to obviously the reminder of like that he's a monster and yeah, he ends the, the scene by flipping slouch up and yeah. And then he flips up a hoodie, yeah, um, over his head and, uh, and I can't not associate that kind of with what I heard what what they're saying in the interview about like the flipping up the hoodie is is such a like filled with meaning yeah. <laughs> thing for him yeah. to do and as like the end of that kind of arc or that this scene in the movie it's kind of such a, what a way to bring it home about his feeling like even though he can do all these things they can't let us finish this scene about his greatness without reminding us that like he can't even show his face in public beloved mother gone beloved son <laughs> aw poor guy yeah uh, cut to Barry in prison with his father visiting <laughs> beloved son in a in a pained way here I as being a flash fan these will be moments that will probably be very charged for me because I've seen this character for so long. And the way that this is depicted here between Billy Crudup and uh, Ezra Miller is just fantastic. Like this mm-hmm. is this is a scene I would not expect to see. And it still surprises me that it is a one of a relatively few scenes that are given to Barry before his story kind of is picked up by the league, but boy, does it pack a punch to show where everybody is at. And, you know, but then we, we spin off of that into the whole sequence with, with Bruce, where I think we know we've seen it a lot. It was, it was prominent marketing and we'll have fun breaking down the smaller moments and the smaller jokes. But I think that that emotional core that they're getting at with Barry, we've seen his power. Now we see, not not necessarily his motivation, but definitely like the emotional context that all of this stuff is going to be fitting into. Yeah, well, it's also fascinating how like efficient it is at um, at getting to that spot with him because yeah, we feel like we we're so filled in on his backstory and not just like his origin story level backstory but his like not that we see his actual origin but we see his powers we see this like his character and his motivation and he's trying to get this job and then we see him with his dad and that's only like you know five minutes or so of of total screen time maybe a little bit longer maybe five to ten like he's a he's a fully formed character as far as they need him to be to like join the league at that point and it's kind of crazy that we get that much of a glimpse of him um, before, you know, you talk about like the need for a solo movie or, and all that, but we know everything we need to know about him to oh, I get mean, I love this point of his story. <laughs> oh yeah. No, the origin story for Barry, it is his mother being murdered. And yeah. that's like, oh, right. Yeah. The origin story. What's the origin story of the flash? Well, he's struck by lightning. And then here come this movie that's like, well, I mean, the origin story is that his father was wrongfully in prison for killing his mother. If like, that's why he is the way he is. Yeah. The power comes after. Yeah, exactly. They they all lost their their mothers. You know, they all had something that that made them a, a hero. But what separates yeah, Bruce from from him, or you know, the reason he's not just another 
motherless boy is is the his his desire to get his dad out of prison. Ezra was what we needed. The fact that, that they blended the, his this tone for this character into this movie without being like jarring is masterful. Like I feel like this character in any other like the fact that people call this movie grimdark and it has this character arc in it <laughs> is like hilarious to me that 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 it's not Alfred and Barry are here. What yeah, are you and, talking and, about? And they're so funny, and it's not funny like like BVS had, a, had had some humor and and you know dark humor and some chuckles and whatever, but not nearly so much like outright. Just I was laughing for like most of that opening or you know a good chunk of like his opening scene and a lot of his dialogue here with Bruce is is very light, but it doesn't um, undermine or take away from the drama in any way. We hand it from Vic to Barry. Okay, now we hand it back to Vic. We get Vic and Diana having mm-hmm. their meeting. From an effects perspective, I think some of my favorite looks at Cyborg in the movie. So, I, and playing with the characters, like this now starts more and more, where on the one hand, I think a comic fan might think that Wonder Woman and Aquaman have a lot in common. And then this movie comes along and says, no, they have like nothing in common. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't don't just go on a stereotype level here. Who has the most in common? Man, Vic and Diana would have a lot to say about being different and wanting to hide and being exceptional, but not being able to be that and losing the family that you had and losing the family you cared about and having all of this. There's just, there's just uh, outcast outsiders. There's a lot there. And I like this. I like this scene a lot as a continuation of Diana's character from her movie too, like BVS and for it to work with Wonder Woman, I think works really well. Uh, You know, we got that one line in the age of heroes that I once knew a man who would have loved to fly it. And yeah. that's like, man, you've already invested. That's all we need. Like, you've earned that now. So, uh, and I think it's the same thing here with with what she says to Vic. It isn't just, oh, that checks out. It makes sense for her character to say that. It's, this scene is about Vic and her recruiting him, but I am seeing how this is about her too. Like, this is advancing her arc in the story as well. Right. Well, and and it's also now like not with each other, but we've seen each of the heroes interact with another hero as of this scene, and it, it starts what one of the things this movie does. We'll obviously be talking about as we as we go through it is how many they do a really good job mixing and matching the characters with like dialogue scenes and action scenes, right? Where you've got Bruce and Arthur, and they have their own dynamic that is very specific and in interaction there. It's so different from Bruce and. Barry and then uh, Bruce and Diana and now you have Diana and Victor they all have their own individual arcs but then the way that their arcs interact with each other sort of enlighten and improve each of those like you said the way that this ties in Diana's arc like I think you may have said it in our commentary or maybe it was in one of the um the early spoiler episodes just of how smart it is to have her be the one like you'd think that Bruce would be like the oh he's like the tech guy right have him yeah he's like the tech guy so you'd think like oh have him talk to cyborg and you know maybe they they, they have a resonance or whatever but I have the the ancient being approach that the the robot to say I understand what you're experiencing <laughs> is like so such a subversion and uh and like you said in a way that improves both of their stories sadly Vic is on his way to bury the mother box in his own grave yeah um, which lets you know where he's at story-wise <laughs> well he's also getting him dropping the f-bomb right before that oh so yeah he's yes. very, what he thinks about the world he's very emo boy and you know what 
and the time I saw this, I agree. He he makes a compelling argument. <laughs> but yeah, then we move in, you know, his with, with his character kind of in established, we then launch into Silas being taken and, you know, his him being drawn into it now that we know his relationship with his father, which works. But that is all building up to the big action sequence of this part of the movie, which is Steppenwolf coming for the mother box of Atlantis. I will say I am particularly excited because I think generally not enough credit is given to Zack Snyder's realization of what Atlantis actually is. I enjoyed the Aquaman movie. I think that the way that they handle the water stuff is is totally good, is totally fine. Occasionally moments of really, really wicked greatness. I, I think this is just next level i mean though the way that this is made real the world skated so quickly from how in the world is he gonna do that past oh yeah he did it he did it and it's <laughs> totally not even like there's no issue here uh it makes total sense um we've also introduced another super super powered character that uses water we're just we have an action sequence set in water and it's not even a weird thing is like i mean the effects people and probably amber heard and jason momoa for all those hours they spent underwater uh or or in water next to water what have you i know they were in and out but um, in but, harnesses, <laughs> yes, this vision of Atlantis is awesome. It matches everything that I would think from the comics. And the same goes for for Amber Heard as Mira. I think this is a for a character who is going to be new to a lot of people and needs to stand up against the guy whipping his shirt off on the pier, downing <laughs> a bottle of whiskey. Um, that is she does it. She kicks ass. I, I love it. Yeah. Well, and I think to your point, it's, it's, um, when they were writing this, they didn't know what, what Atlantis was going to like. The, the, yep. There was not enough from James Wan for them to like base it off of anything for that. And so for this to kind of be there, the way they built it, I think is super cool. And one of the big things is like the language. There was always the question of how, how do they talk? And James Wan went with just like, just have them talk, which I think works in the, if you're doing like a full length movie as a, maybe they are talking in a different way and that's, and we're just perceiving it. Sure. Like yeah, how, yeah. They're all speaking but, English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what they do here with um like her first appearance and like chirping, but they like they just like underwater, like dolphin squeaking and Notes. clicking and stuff. Yeah. And what's what's really interesting about that too is because I I know that Snyder had mentioned that they were trying to think of something like that in interviews, but then it never. I didn't know if they would then do that in this version of the movie. So it was fascinating to see it come out and see that they actually did that both that and the air bubble. I thought kind of made a lot of sense in a cool way because you have like the kind of basic signals and communication like they could they could talk probably with like about the level of like intelligence of, you know, most sea life. But to have like a actual conversation, they would still use the the air bubble, which I don't think I don't think breaks that like the logic there in any way. If they only could speak with air bubbles, then you'd be like, okay, these underwater people can't speak unless they're in an air bubble. Like you imagine them having to do that all the time. It's like, okay, that doesn't work. It's like, no, no, no. They, for all their conversations, they do it this way. And then for their, um, everything else, they've got the bubbles. It's like, okay, that actually is kind of, you can see people that like evolved to, to live in that way. Um, who hadn't, you know, had originally been above water. That makes a lot of sense. 
the fact that they are, I mean, we'll be talking, we'll have an opportunity to talk about this in extreme detail, <laughs> but like on a, on a broad view, this is 100% problem solving and like trying mm-hmm. to make the best of an imperfect situation. It comes across as I think probably the, the people who know the least about Aquaman and Atlantis will, will notice this the least will be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Like, yeah. cool, yeah, make a bubble of the talk. That makes sense, because whatever. I I am a fan of Zack Snyder's Atlantis. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and then also the way that they made it a... I know that there ended up being some continuity issues with the, the Aquaman movie as it exists now. Who knows how that would have happened if this is the version that, that came out um, in theaters. But he also set it in a place, in a way that could make those differences okay same with uh the amazons right yeah penetralium like you don't need to know what is happening in the main part of the island yeah exactly and 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 it falls off and so you're not like you're like yeah okay it's this whole separate thing yeah and and it's the same thing here where it's it's a like they are separate they are separate enough that like there's no need to make it a part of like main Atlantis. And so even if there's a difference in like, if they're using more like old world Atlantis stuff, like the armor and the weapons and whatever, it makes sense because they're guarding this very old world thing that maybe not even all the Atlanteans know exists. Cause it's, it's, you know, out in this outpost and they've got old statues and stuff and it's clearly kind of overgrown. It gives such a, like it's very well, Lord Orm of the Rings. I mean, care, almost, right? Yeah. The king does. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess maybe it'd be more fair to say, like, let the Amazons have, like, that 300 aesthetic, like the more Greek Sparta. But, like, this is this is very much, like, underwater elves. I, I'll accept that happily. Plus, it, it, we'll have a lot of fun talking about Mira's armor and mm-hmm. her, the first glimpse of her powers, which are yes. <laughs> equal parts beautiful and horrifying. And, mm-hmm. of course, her meeting Arthur and then the... The, the scene that plays out and I am, I am a full proponent of all of this. So this will be a fun, a, a giddy section to come after the heady cyborg section in the Barry and his father and those parts of the movie. This will just be like, Oh, we're in like, we're at the bottom of the ocean. This is so cool. <laughs> and she's like squeaking and squawking. And we don't get to see the, the dialogue or the language that she learned that was crafted by the Kryptonian linguist that, she recorded lines, but again, just because this is problem solving, that was like, hey, maybe this will work. Nope, that is one yeah. way not to do it. They did that in a few. Um, I think yeah, something similar was supposed to happen in the um, in the Amazon scene. Also, you're talking the the arrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, that they yeah they were they were working and maybe because Wonder Woman was coming along faster than Aquaman, they maybe they originally wrote that in another language and then Wonder Woman came out or not came out but had been written by that point and they were like oh you know what we don't this need to worry English. about that here yeah yeah Cristario stunned dropped the script on the table <laughs> <laughs> uh, immediate rewrites wait the movie is not entirely in Greek yeah just read the subtitles uh we 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 get to uh steppenwolf sadly does get the mother box and then leaves and returns it and he has two and <laughs> isn't this where he says you st- still owe him Please. fifty thousand? yeah that's where we're at for beloved mother beloved son uh we have our mothers we have our sons covered that will do it for part three i guess this is another opportunity to say what i didn't in the previous episode which is, that is, as we prepare for our minute-by-minute breakdowns... Um, yeah, we're not going to get back to this point in the movie. 
Nope. For um, and we we at this point in the movie, this podcast will have been running for longer, for almost twice as long, BVS by the minute as is during the time of this episode being recorded. So, wow. Having said that, yeah, if you would like to support this ludicrous endeavor, you can listen to Batman v Superman by the Minute, our podcast, which we highly recommend because a lot of that will be like there will be a lot of shorthand and continued story. And we will also be continuing to record that alongside Justice League when we start the Minute by Minute breakdowns. So you can listen to that. You can listen to this podcast. You can also support both by going to patreon.com slash Snyder Minute and committing uh, your dollars for some extra bonus content and also to help us hosting a whole lot of conversation about these movies, hopefully for the foreseeable future. We would love for these to stay up here because more people seem to find what these movies have to offer and want to hear the way that we talk about it uh, with like every passing year, which sounds nuts, but is totally the case. But Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you are listening to this, then we can say thank you because you are already technically starting our, I'll, I'll call this like the packing phase. Um, you know, we are going off on an adventure to, to quote Bilbo, but <laughs> we are still just getting together our satchels. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's so cool that I, I'm glad this movie is structured this way to give us the opportunity to, to do this, but also just kind of as our, as our BVS by the minute listeners know, which is hopefully all of you, but if you haven't gotten there yet, as we get further into the movie, we spend more, or I at least spend more and more time breaking down my obsession with the natural sort of flow of each collection of minutes. I guess we could call it chapters now that right. we have ch- that, that designation for here. That movie just exists without any sort of name cards or, or screens outside of the Mankinders introduced to the Superman. Having done that to be able to approach this from scratch and say like, hey, you know what, let's let's do that. I think uh, it's a phenomenal way to start off so that you know, like I said, we're, when in two years and we're back at this point, it's not going to be like, man, I'd like to talk about Flash for once. <laughs> yeah, man. If if you are inclined, we, we obviously welcome, you know, iTunes reviews and, and just telling someone about the podcast because I'm now realizing that there are actually a select few people that started the BVS by the minute, minute zero, minute one journey with us that now there are so many more people that get to start minute one of Zack Snyder's Justice League with us that uh, uh, that can't get here soon enough. It's like all of that conversation that built up can all be had at one time. I'm very excited for that. I know we're only like halfway through the parts of this movie, but I'm already, I am trying not to say like, yeah, 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 let's get through all of these because I want to start one minute at a time. But then I also yeah. want to talk about Dark Side and I also want to talk about, you know, the Flash's time travel. So that's good too. Exactly. We'll we'll have to come up with some sort of bonus content that lets us talk about that because um, this is probably just outside of episode talk at this point. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe, maybe maybe this fits <laughs> in the episode, but maybe we'll find a way to talk about the parts of this episode so that like once we get to talk about Dark Side, we're not going to be like, all right, now we're going to stop talking about him for a year and a half. Oh, more than a year and a half, I think, at this point. Oh wow! But when we're talking about Dark Side in the year 2023, it's going to be a blast. But until then, thank you for listening, and remember. You still owe us 50,000 more worlds. iTunes reviews. Victor, these are the words and deductions of a scientist. That's how I've been speaking to you. Now, let me speak to you from my heart, not as a scientist, as a father. (laughs) 